0: During the month of February, as we mentioned on Sunday, we're going to be focusing on renewal. Uh, The fact that we need renewal, and there are ways in the Word of God that we can be renewed, that our mind can be changed, that our spirit can be transformed. And as we shared on Sunday, even though we are believers, even though we're spirit-filled, even though God's done a work in our life, Because we live in the world and because we still have flesh, we have to be renewed. And there are times when there has to be renewal. Now, we shared on Sunday that renewal means to make new again. We compared that to a computer system restore because files become corrupted and the computer loses its functionality. And in order for it to become useful again, it has to be made new again. Everything that it picked up along the way that corrupted it has to be wiped so that we can go back to what it was when it was new. And this is what I believe this time of renewal in February is going to produce in us. A good uh, repentance, a good restoration, a good coming back, a good reprogramming, if you would, of our mind back to the way that we know that we ought to be thinking and living. So I want to read a couple verses here. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, and then 2 Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse 13. Now the basis for the month of renewal that we're going to look at uh, in the coming weeks, just so you'll know, not that you turn there now, but uh, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, is the longest sermon of Jesus, the actual words of Jesus preaching a sermon. This sermon is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And in uh, Matthew chapter number 6, I believe it is, right in the middle of the Beatitudes, uh, the first 16 or 18 verses of Matthew 6, Jesus tells people some instructions about three things that every Christian is to be doing when you, it says, when you give alms, it says, when you pray, and when you fast. And uh, the way that Jesus states it, it's not like he's trying to convince them that they need to. It's assumed, you understand, you've got to be doing this. And so, spiritual renewal can happen in our life through these ways, through prayer, through fasting, and through giving. So, in the coming weeks, the coming three weeks, we're going to be talking about renewed through fasting, renewed through prayer, and renewed through giving. But tonight, we're continuing off, uh, com- continuing with what we were speaking on on Sunday, which is the basic concept of renewal and the need for renewal. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, let me read this passage to you. It says, Repent then and turn to God. Let's look at the King James Version first. It says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I looked at this verse and uh, I looked at it in every other translation. And uh, every other translation that I looked at gave me the uh, a, a different uh Kind of meaning of the second part of this verse than what King James Version looks like. I'm going to read one of them, but I could read several. This is the uh, NIV. It says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Every other translation of this passage says, in essence, that the times of refreshing that's going to come from the presence of the Lord is going to be a product of us repenting. That restoration comes after repentance. When we change our mind, when we ask God to forgive us, when we ask Him to purge us and cleanse our minds, when we make the conscious effort to change our mind and change our direction, then, Then shall come the period of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And to further reinforce this point, we read this verse on Sunday, but I'm going to read it again, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 13. God says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or... If I send pestilence among my people, and this is God speaking, if this happens, if I do that, and uh, what's unspoken here is the only reason God would do that would be to get his people's attention, to bring correction to them. How many are glad? Is anybody glad that sometimes God lets you go through some tough stuff? To get your attention? Anybody ever been, I mean, you don't have to tell me any details, you can just nod your head. But anybody been going the wrong direction before and all of a sudden God wakes you up and his method of waking you up is not painless? But then when you wake up and you change direction, you're thankful to God. Even though you're upset with yourself for making those decisions, you're thankful to God that he let you experience some pain. To bring about a change of direction. It says, if this happens, then... In verse number 14, we have an if-then. If-then, verse 14. If... Okay, let's say this happens. There's a scenario. I've shut up the heavens. It's not raining. I've sent pestilence. It's devouring your crops. You're dry. You're parched. You're starving. You're struggling. You're experiencing the judgment. All of this. If this happens, then... If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If you do this, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. So with the healing of the land, obviously, you got rain falling again you got the purge of locusts being taken care of. you got crops growing again. you got prosperity and blessing coming again. So the Bible says, when these things happen, when you go through a dry spell, when you're facing difficulty, when you get off track, when God's correction comes, when these things happen, if these things happen, if you will humble yourself and pray and seek the face of God, turn from your wicked ways, Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their lands. It goes back to the same exact principle that we see in the book of Acts chapter 3. Repent and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So what I'm wanting to convey right now to you is that the blessing, the refreshing, the fresh faith, The spiritual renewal, the revival in your life, the revival in your spirit, the revival in your family, the revival in your school is always going to be preceded by repentance, by spiritual renewal, by taking a moment and changing the direction of your life and observing your own rebellion, your own uh, selfishness, your own sinful tendencies and humbly asking God to forgive you, then comes the refreshing. Then comes the rain, and then comes the blessing. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So the Bible promises this. Repentance, renewal, restoring again that which has been lost or or marred because of sin. Repentance always precedes outpouring, restoration and renewal. And one thing about spiritual renewal and restoration, it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen in your routine. It doesn't happen just out of the blue. You have to be intentional about restoration and renewal. And that's why during the month of February, we're deviating from our routine, not just to be different, not just like, I want you to brush your teeth before your shower instead of after your shower like you normally do. Well, I'm getting out of my routine. God, renew me. No, it's intentional. It's very intentional deviation of routine, giving God time and space and attention to speak to us and to bring about purging and cleansing, to defeat the tendencies of the flesh, to overcome the influence of the world, and to silence the voice of Satan in our lives so when we look at this idea of restoration we got to look at the big picture first the big picture of restoration or renewal back to the original renewal that we experienced if i were to ask you the question of why were you created what's the purpose for your creation why were you made in the first place and no the answer is not to make babies and eat groceries that's not why you were created if we were to boil it all down According to my understanding of the Bible, the reason that you were created was to become like Jesus Christ. So how do you know that? Well, the Bible says at the very beginning, he shows us God's intentions when the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our image. We were created in the image of God. There's a purpose we were created in the image of God. And it was so that we could have fellowship and relationship with God. He desired to have fellowship with someone who was like him. So in order for us to have fellowship with God, we have got to be in the image of God. And when we talk about in the image of God, we're not just talking about two ears, a nose, two eyes, arms, upright When we talk about the image of God, we're talking about, number one, that we're spiritual beings. Not beings, but beings. Spiritual beings. We're not edamame. We're intellectual. We're relational beings. And we have a moral conscience. Just like God. We are in the image of God. Spiritual beings, intellectual, relational. And we have moral conscience. So, all human beings have part of God's image. Even sinners have part of God's image. The image of God, however, in all of us has been damaged or distorted by sin. Our moral conscience, even our relationships, spiritually, we've been damaged by sin, we have been corrupted by sin. And the thing is, it's universal because the Bible teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were all created in the image of God, but the image of God in all of us has been distorted, damaged, and corrupted. So the image of God, if it were to be restored in us, if it were to be renewed in us, what would it look like? What would it look like? Anybody want to guess? It would look exactly like Jesus Christ. Obviously, we're not talking about appearance. We're talking about the nature. If our created nature was restored or renewed, it would look just like Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. We're not just talking about his appearance. We're talking about his nature and his character. This is the image of the invisible God. So you and I, if we're restored to our original created rest- restoration or renewal, we would be back in the image of God which means we would be just like Jesus Christ. So a restored human being, back to its original image that had not been distorted by sin, would look like Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that and agree with that? So the objective of the gospel, the objective of the cross, the objective of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to fix the damage of sin and restore the original image of God that was impressed upon us, which we most clearly see revealed through Jesus Christ himself. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it says uh, that, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. But when we were born again, the old man dies and we put aside the characteristics of the old man and we put on the new man. The new man is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. So we were created to be renewed so that we would be like God again, that we would be righteous and we would be holy. Do you believe that? Because if you don't believe that, then what are you doing here tonight? If you don't believe that God's will for you is that you become righteous and holy like God is righteous and holy, and that's why you were filled with the Holy Ghost in the first place. You weren't filled with the Holy Ghost so that you could have a good feeling and speak in a different language. You weren't filled with the Holy Ghost just so you could get your ticket punched, which gives you access to heaven. But you were filled with the Holy Spirit after you repented of your sins, so that God's purpose would be done in you, and that is that you would be restored to your original created image, which is the image of God, which is just like Jesus Christ. We were created to be like God. And so the Bible says, "Of believers it says, "Be ye holy." First Peter 1, verse 15 and 16, says, "Because he that has called you is holy." So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That when it says conversation, it doesn't mean just talking to somebody. It means throughout all your lifestyle. Be holy, because God is holy. Because verse sixteen it says, "Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy." It's quoting in Leviticus chapter eleven, verse forty-five, where it says again, "This be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy." So God's will is that we would be holy. Now, I I want you to get a picture of this right now. Um, And in order to illustrate this point I want to make right now, I want to take your minds back to remember the children of Israel. The children of Israel, their deliverance from slavery is in the book of, anybody know what the book is where... The children of Israel were set free from slavery. Exodus, correct. Exodus. The book of Exodus is where the children of Israel were miraculously brought out of Egypt. But the book of Exodus does not just tell the story of their deliverance from Egypt. Because the second half of the book of Exodus includes the giving of God's law. Which illustrates this point to me. That God brought them out supernaturally from Egypt, which is a type of the world, which is a type of bondage, which is a type of sin. He brought them out. But then he said, now, if you will do this, if you will live this way, it will bring Egypt out of you. So first of all, God has to do his part And bring us out of sin, bring us out of our addictions, bring us out of those situations that are impossible for us to overcome. But then he gives us his law which is his expectations for how they were supposed to live. And the purpose for that was it was going to bring Egypt's influence out of them so that eventually they could move into the promised land and eventually they could enjoy the promises of God as a a blessed people. And so the same is true for us. Through salvation, through the cross, through the power of the Holy Ghost, we are saved from sin, and we are brought out of the world. But unfortunately, God doesn't do all the work. After you are justified, then begins the process of sanctification. And I've heard the debate before, who sanctifies? Is it what we do, or is it what the Spirit does? And my answer is, for those arguing back and forth, it's both of them right? We're labors together with him. The spirit sanctifies, but the spirit sanctifies over time. And the word, the Bible says we're washed by the word. The word of God cleanses us, not because we hear it and it makes us feel good, but because we hear it and we do it. Come on now, be not just a hearer of the word or you're going to fool your own self. But if you want the word to bring about change, you got to listen and then do it. Because if you just listen and don't do it, it's like somebody that looks at themselves in the mirror and doesn't fix what's wrong and walks away. But in order for the word to bring change, you got to do something when the word convicts you, when the word speaks to you. And so children of Israel, it's not enough that you have the law, now you got to do the law. Children of Israel, once you live the law, then it brings about the change. And the change and the transformation called sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification is restoring the image of God in us. And it takes time. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in 10 or 15 minutes. It's not completed even in 10 or 15 years but the work of God through his grace and mercy is restoring the image of God in us. Now, I've been in church my entire life, 43 years. I've learned so many lessons. I've learned some through instruction. Most of them I've learned through tough times. What do they call it, the school of hard knocks? The school of hard knocks. And, but you know what I've I've learned is... What I'm discovering is at 43 years of age, after being in church my whole life, leading a congregation of people, that I am still being shaped by God through experiences and through his word. Even today. Even today. I was reminded today of a song by by Andre Crouch. And uh, the, the song was, anybody remember the song, Through It All? Through it all, I have learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Now I knew from the beginning I was supposed to trust him, but I didn't learn how to trust him until I went through some stuff, until I had some experiences. Amen. And so God allows us to go through things. But even though we go through it, sometimes we, we, we can fail to learn the lesson but it's God's will that when we learn the lesson to become doers of the word and not just hearers, amen. So the Bible says that we are to be holy. What does this mean when it tells us to be holy? Like be means to be. How can I be holy if I ain't holy? Is it something I'm supposed to pursue? Is it something I'm supposed to assume that's already happened to me? What does it mean to be holy in the first place? Be ye holy. What does it mean? Now let me start out by saying this. It does not mean that you will become God. You're not going to become God, okay? We'll just go ahead and and set that straight right now. Nor will you become a God with a little G. And I know New Age movement and uh, false religion out there is the idea that, uh, that you, can become, you can become a god or, or a demigod. This is, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the first lie of Satan. lie of Satan to Eve was, if you eat of the tree, God knows you'll become as a god. The idea of being holy does not mean that you will become God or become a god. God doesn't want us to be a god, but he does want us to be godly. Godly. That means, holiness means taking on the values, the attitudes, and the character of God. Taking on the values, attitudes, and character of God. This is about the original renewal. The original renewal required us to take a step. Ephesians 4.22 tells us what we got to do. We got to throw off our old sinful nature and our former way of life, which is corrupted By lust and deception. So when a person is born again, that's why the Bible says old things are passed away. All things are become new. You have to make a decision to throw off the old. See, that's the problem. Here's the problem in the world today. People want to come into church and uh, just keep living the way that they were living. Same mindset, same idea, same values. And find a church that fits them. Unfortunately, there's a lot of church that fits sinners nowadays. Amen? But God's will was never that the church would fit the sinner. God's will was that the gospel and the church would transform a sinner. And so the message is I'm not allowed to keep thinking the way I was thinking, I'm not allowed to keep living the way that I was living. I'm not allowed to, to, to hold on to those same prejudices. And I'm not allowed to hold on to those same attitudes. And I'm not allowed to hold on to some of those same old practices. Uh, when I come to the Lord, I've got to make a decision to put off the, the lifestyle that I lived before and the old nature because it is corrupted. It's hindering my effectiveness. I got hit with the virus. And I can't please God. Amen? Because the little orange, what do you call it, beach ball is spinning. It's not functioning. It's not working. It's corrupted by deceit and lust. So I've got to put it off so that there can be a spiritual renewal. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. So holiness is... One of God's basic characteristics. The angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So God's desire is that we would be holy because he is holy. Now when we refer to God, holiness means absolute perfection and purity. Absolute, crystal clear purity. But when the word holy is used as an adjective to describe a person or an object... It means something that is separated or set apart for God's purpose. So it includes separation and dedication. Separated from everything else, dedicated to God's purpose. So to us, when the Bible says that we are to be holy, it means that we are separate from the world and dedicated To God. That doesn't mean we live on a commune. That doesn't mean that we live in a different city than the rest of the world. But it goes back to our, what were we talking about? We were talking about God's values, God's character, God's nature. That's that's what we're talking about here, that we are to have God's character. And nature and this world doesn't have God's character values and nature so when we start to have God's character values and nature we're going to be separated from the world not logistically not even relationally but philosophically intellectually values wise we are to be separate from this world and dedicated to God's purpose that means we take on his values, his attitude, and God's character. This is the will of God for us to be holy. Now, we mentioned that sin corrupted God's original image, and the sin of Adam even separated them from God. The only way for the communion that we ha- could have with God or Adam could have with God to be restored is for man to be separated From sin. So do you want me to make it simple for you before you fall asleep? Here it is, cut and dried, real simple. Either you're separated from sin or you're separated from God. One way or the other. Either you're separated from sin unto God or you're separated from God unto the old nature, unto the sinful nature. There's going to be separation one way or the other. Holiness means separated from sin, separated from the values, character, mindset of this world, and dedicated unto God. I've got to be separated from this to be connected with God. Because if I'm connected with this, I'm separated from God. Is that simple enough? And the family of this world is under the influence of Satan, who is the God of this world. The Bible makes it very clear that I can't be in step with this world and be in fellowship with God. Amen? If I am in step with this world and my values are the same as my neighbor and my character is the same as all my coworkers and my lifestyle and my choices match everybody around me, then I am not separated from the world, I'm separated from God. But when my values, my character, my conversation, my lifestyle, my choices are different from the people around me, not that I don't have friends, not that I don't talk to them. What happens is typically you have rich relationships and they have respect for you. But at the end of the day, you understand I'm different from them because I'm connected to God. And the only way I can be connected to him is there's got to be a separation from that. Because if I'm connected to that, then I'm separated from from him, I can't be in lockstep with this world and be in fellowship with God. That's why in 2 Corinthians 6:17, it says, "Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You're going to be connected to me," He says, "If you come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. I don't know about you, but theres if you want to be a believer, if you want to make it to heaven, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be used, with, used by God, number one priority in your life has to be, I want to be in fellowship and relationship with God. Nothing else matters in comparison. It is so much more important than everything else that it's not even on the same ledger. It's not even on the same page. I want to be in fellowship with God. And anything that creates separation between me and God is going to be separated from my life. Because I want to be connected to him. Amen. And if we're honest with ourselves, we see things that are pulling us away from God. Changing our attitude so that we don't worship God. Changing our mindset so that we don't put him first. Uh, I want to tell you, if there's anything in my life uh, that is changing my attitude or changing my priorities away from connectedness to God, then I've got to separate from it. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about holiness. Separation and dedication to God separation from that, so I can be connected to him. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we read this verse over and over again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're talking about renewal, Renewal, repentance and renewal. Holiness includes a sacrifice of our desires, a sacrifice of our will, so that we can present ourselves in a manner that's acceptable to God. Sometimes, in order to tell God yes, we have to tell ourselves no. (laughs) We have to tell ourselves no In order to tell God, yes. In our culture in 2016, it is almost impossible. We've forgotten how to deny ourselves. We do whatever we please. But in order to say yes to God, many times we have to say no to ourselves. This is the powerful thing about fasting. Fasting is a denial of your flesh. Fasting is telling yourself At the very base nature, no. I'm telling my flesh no because I'm connecting with God during this season and during this time because I'm saying yes to God. I'm saying what Jesus said in the garden which is not my will but thine be done. I want to talk here about uh, sin just for a minute here because... um, The Bible teaches us about sin, particularly in 1 John, it talks a lot about sin. Now, the one thing that I'm I'm not spending a lot of time focusing on is that you, but I'm going to say it right here, it's impossible for you to live above sin without the Holy Ghost. You've got to have the Holy Spirit because the law of the Spirit is what overpowers the law of sin. If you're not born again or born of the Spirit, then the law of sin has power over you. But the new law that has power over the law of sin is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Roman 8. The law of the Spirit hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So without the Spirit, I don't have the law of the Spirit operating in my life. I'm subject to the law of sin. But when the Spirit comes, it sets me free. The law of the Spirit can free from the law of sin. Why? Because a new nature is born in a man through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you were born again, you had a new nature born into you. And this new nature does not desire to sin, but desires to please God and submit to God. And all of that is programmed into the new nature. Anybody remember when you first got the Holy Ghost? Remember what it felt like when you first got the Holy Ghost? And, uh, and you just wanted to be in the presence of God. And you loved everybody. Even the ugly people. You just loved them, man. You wanted to hug everybody. And, and uh, um, the sinful things, that used to entertain you and attitudes. It, it's just reprehensible to you because there's a new nature in you. And the new nature has a built-in desire to please God. The new nature loves to worship God. The new nature is connected. That's what happens when you get the Holy That's why we've got to have people getting the Holy Ghost around here. The Lord knows I can't preach good enough to help anybody. Unless the Spirit gets inside of them. And that new nature that desires to please God is put in them. That's why the law of the Spirit overcomes the law of sin. The new nature does not desire to sin. And it's a real frustration trying to live above sin without the Holy Spirit. Because the law of the Spirit overcomes the law of sin. But I want to look at these passages here in 1 John. 1 John 3 and 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Anybody ever read that scripture before? Nope, never have. And you read that scripture and you're like, oh my goodness, what's this mean? He that is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This is saying that the child of God does not practice sin. The child of God does not want to sin because he has received a new nature that's why he says he cannot sin because he is born of god and our now now we're born of god if we're born of god then that means god is our father and just like our father who cannot tolerate sin we have his seed in us and we can't tolerate sin just like our father hates sin his seed is in us because we're born of God and we hate sin as well. Now this doesn't mean that the Christian lacks the ability or the capacity to sin, right? Everybody said, praise the Lord. It doesn't mean that we lack the capacity to sin because 1 John, 1, 8, 1 John same book, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So how do we how do we put these two verses together? They seem contradictory, don't they? It seems like a paradox, right? A contradiction. He that is born of God cannot sin. But then the Bible says if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in us. And it's not just that the Bible says these two things but the same writer in the same letter says these two things. So either John's confused or we have some truth to unearth here. What does it mean? What does it mean? Okay, let me use this example here. It says that uh, whosoever is born of God did not commit sin, cannot sin because he is born of God. It does not mean that you're physically incapable of sinning, But what it means is that you are restrained from sinning by your knowledge. Let me give you an example. Anybody have any food allergies? Anybody have like a severe food allergy? Anybody know somebody that has a severe food allergy? And uh, I have a friend that um, if he eats any shrimp, his eyes will swell shut. And if he doesn't get some medicine, his throat will close off. That's a problem, right? You can't breathe. To put a straw down there real quick, whatever. And so it doesn't mean that he is incapable of eating shrimp. He can very much pop one in his mouth. It very much tastes good to him. He can very much chew it up, and he can very much swallow it. But when I put shrimp in front of him, he says, I can't eat shrimp. Oh, yes, you can eat shrimp. Your teeth work. You've still got a swallower. Take a whiff, smell it. Mmm, smells good, doesn't it? He doesn't mean he's physically incapable of eating shrimp. What he means is his knowledge about the effects of the shrimp restrains him from eating the shrimp. So when we are born of God... When his nature is in us, an opportunity to sin arises. We're like, I remember the last time I did that. I know what's going to happen if I do that. And so because of the nature of God and the knowledge that I have, I can't do that because I have knowledge of the effect that it's going to have in me. Now, here's deception. Here's the deception of sin is to convince you, try to convince you that it's not going to have that effect. And when it starts having that effect, to blind you to the effect that it's having that effect. Now, the thing about my shrimp example is you're going to know it. But with the sin example, you start backsliding and you don't even know it. Spiritually, you start gagging. Gra- gasping for breath but you've become so dull and deceived by Satan that you don't even realize it you can even come to church and sit on the pew and be spiritually dead in your sins but when you have the nature of God when you're renewed in the spirit all of a sudden those priorities come back in order the character and values of God I'm talking about a good old fashion praying through where it starts adjusting your way of thinking, where you put aside some things that you picked up. Because remember I said, all of us need to be renewed. All of us get corrupted from time to time. All of us sin. Not me. You're deceiving yourself. The devil doesn't even have to work. You don't have to show up and deceive you. You're deceiving yourself. The Bible says it. If you say you have no sin... So it doesn't mean you're physically incapable of sinning, but that you are restrained by your knowledge. Christians are restrained from sinning by their new nature. And as long as the new nature is in control, the Christian will not sin. It's the will of God. 1 John 2.14 says, I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. You overcame Satan because the word of God was in you. I like it. The, the Bible says in Romans chapter six, um, it says, uh, put, put up verse one. I used to be able to quote it, but it's, it's getting a little rusty. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 6.2 says, how could you continue in sin? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if the new nature is in control, you are dead to sin. Why? Because the old man was crucified with Christ so that we should no longer serve sin. We nailed the old nature to the cross so that we should not serve, and there is a new nature inside. And we have to understand that we are dead to sin. Look at somebody and say, you're dead. Amen. How would a dead man react if, if I slapped him in the face? He wouldn't do anything. All the people standing around the casket might get a little active, but the dead man ain't going to do anything. Or what if I went up to a dead man and had like a a big old roll of $100 bills and just wave it in front of him? (whistles) No response. He's dead. When our old nature is dead, the things that used to arouse the old nature don't work. Mm -hmm. because you're dead to sin and you're alive to God and you've got a new nature and a new character. There's no reaction because the man is dead. And if you are dead to sin, any temptation to sin would bring no reaction from us. And if you're really dead to sin, then living the Christian life is easy. The problem is when you're half dead and half alive. That's the problem. It becomes, have you ever seen the Facebook profile, relationship profile? Single, married, it's complicated. When your old nature is half dead and half alive, it becomes complicated. It becomes difficult and eventually impossible to live for God. So when it's talking about it it being impossible for uh, one that is born of God to sin, it's not speaking of an act of sin, but it's speaking of the nature of sin. And I want to tell you, I want to just come up against and confront a stronghold of Satan, a false doctrine that operates in churches today. And that is the idea that you can continue in sin and still be in relationship with God, And still be okay with God. Because even though you've been born again, you have to keep that old nature subdued in you. And there has to be periods of renewal where through intentional fasting and prayer and sacrificial commitment to giving, we begin to throw off again say, but I already died. I did it 20 years ago. I walked away from that old man. If you'd known the person I was and the person I am. Or the old song. If you had known me before I knew him, you'd understand why I praise. If you knew the person I was before I met Jesus. But the reality is, all of us become corrupted over time. Even sitting on a church pew here in Good Preaching. We become corrupted. And have to go through a time of renewal where we peel away, put off, take off the old man again, the old sinful nature, put it to death again so that we can go forward in God. Because Romans Romans 8.23 lets us know that we're still waiting for the redemption of the body. That's not going to happen in your life. Your flesh ain't going to be redeemed. Right? So you've got to fight with it. You've got to keep it under the blood. We are waiting for the redemption of our body. That's coming when this mortal puts on immortality. When I get to the other side, I'm not going to have to fight with the flesh anymore. But as long as I'm on this side, I have to keep the old nature dead. Amen. And I got to realize it has the tendency to rise up again, to come up from the ashes again. And we have got to keep a dead to sin attitude because there's no such thing as a sinner saint. God has given the saint a divine nature and a hatred of sin. And when a Christian sins, it is because he has not given the Holy Ghost full control in an area of his or her life. And he or she is yielding themselves to another master, and becomes a slave to the master. 1 John 3, 5 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. They're under the the, uh, control of the master, which is sin. But as Christians, we were sinners, but now we are the children of God. And 1 John 2, 1, says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that sums it up. The reason for new birth, the reason for our redemption, the reason for our renewal is that we would be free from sin and live in victory over sin. But thank God that when we sin, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let's give thanks to the Lord for the fact that we have an advocate. And I believe that um, in order to live in victory, personal prayer is very important. And when you pray, taking time to confess your sins. I don't want you to respond, but I'm asking a question just of you. How many of you confess your sins each time you pray? How many of you pause to do a little self-evaluation and confess and ask forgiveness for your sins? Because without confession... There's no change. Without confession, without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sins. And if you're not doing that, those sins can settle into your life. And before long, your divine nature is no longer living and thriving. Your old nature is back in charge again. We've got to cleanse ourselves. The Bible says in 2nd. Uh, Corinthians 7.1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We've got to let the Holy Ghost, we've got to let the Holy Spirit be alive and working in us. Amen? So that we don't fall prey to sin. I'm wrapping up here. This is the last point that I want to make today. The Jewish Passover is followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What does this symbolize? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a period during which Every household in Israel would get all of the leaven or the yeast out of their house and eat only unleavened bread. What does this symbolize? Anybody interested in knowing what this symbolizes? It has a very specific purpose. Well, let's first of all ask, what does the Passover symbolize? The Passover symbolizes our new birth through the blood of our lamb, which is Jesus Christ, right? They were set free from bondage because of the lambs that they, uh, that they killed and ate before they were set free. The Passover represents our new birth through the blood of our lamb, Jesus Christ. But directly following new birth comes the issue of unleavened bread. And biblically, leaven represents sin. That means once we are converted, we must diligently endeavor to rid ourselves of sin and live God's pure way of life. What would they do? After the Passover, we're going into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's not enough not to put yeast in your bread, but you've got to get all the yeast out of the house. So they were diligent, sweeping out the cabinets, sweeping up the floor. They didn't want one grain of leaven in the house. And to us, it represents that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And now it's our responsibility to clean all the sin and the lingering leaven in our lives so that we can live God's pure way of life. Because leaven spreads by contact, and it puffs up the bread, right? Which is most noticeably seen in the rising of the dough. And this is what sin does. The Bible says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. This scripture is in direct reference to bread and grain leavening, which spreads by contact and puffs up the bread. A little leaveneth leaveneth the whole lump of dough. It all puffs up. And this is true. This is true. A little bit of sin puffs us up and causes us to become prideful and arrogant toward God's law. And sin is breaking God's law. And when we break God's law, we're a sinner. We don't have to break them all. A little leaven spreads until it takes over our life. When we lie about little things, we will lie about important ones. We must always try to do what is right. Jesus compares this to the leaven of the Pharisees. You can't include a little sin in your life without affecting your whole soul. He warns his disciples that they couldn't be just a little bit hypocritical. Any hypocrisy would make them unreliable and sinful. If not kept in check, this type of individual will have a corrupting influence even in the entire church. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, the church has to rid itself of unrepentant sinners. Because if they call themselves believers and they're living a life of sin, it's not going to stay located on them. It spreads through the church. That's why... In a corporate setting, the apostle Paul said, if you have somebody in the church that claims to be, a... now we're not talking about new people. We're not talking about guests. We're not talking about people we're discipling. We're talking about people that claim to be born again and living victoriously, but they're still living in sin. And then they start flaunting their life of sin. Guess what it's going to do? It's going to spread through the church. So the apostle said it's like leaven. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. That's why you've got to clean out all the leaven in a corporate sin. Now, I want you to think, don't worry about the church now. Let us think about that. I want you to think about yourself. The same is true of you. A little bit of sin's going to go through the whole body, going to go through the whole person. And so even though Jesus Christ paid the price and redeemed us, we've got to be diligent to sweep out the leaven and keep the leaven out of our life because a little bit of leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Amen? Praise God. So this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing during the month of February. We're going through our house. And we're looking for any leaven. And we're sweeping. And the only way we can do this, we've got to be able to hear from God. And you can't hear from God when your mind is full of this world's message. That's why we're tuning it out this week. We're not just doing it to make you crazy. We're not just doing it to make you bored. We're tuning it out. Because we need to hear from God. We need God to show us some stuff. During the periods of prayer and fasting that are coming up the next two weeks. I want to encourage you to take advantage of this time. Because can't mama clean your leaven out? Daddy can't take care of your leaven. Brothers, sisters can't, pastor can't, you got to get in your own house and you got to clean out your own leaven. Because we know what Jesus did, but now comes, are we going to do our part? Amen. He brought us out, but then he said, these are the things I want you to clean out. Amen. And so we've got to listen to God. We've got to hear from God because I could stand up here, give you a list of rules. It ain't going to work. You got to have the Holy Ghost begin to speak to you. You got to let the spirit begin to reveal some things to you. You've got to get down and get busy and get get down to business with God. Amen. I'm not saying you have to beat yourself up and get out a whip and whip yourself on the back. I'm just talking about getting out of your routine, giving God some attention and saying, God, if you find anything in me that's not like you, take it away from me. Take it out of me. Because I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want any attitude, any conduct, any mindset to bring a hindrance in my relationship with you. I want to be like you. So God, any in me if there's pride if there's lust for this world if there's lust for the things of this world if there's lust for somebody Lord God I pray that you would highlight it amen I've been hiding it but I want you to highlight it right now for a minute so that I can put it off so that I can put it off so that my new nature can come back to life can come back to prominence and power so that I will not sin amen praise God hallelujah let's stand together right now thank you Jesus oh thank you Jesus Anybody thankful for the Word of God? Man, is any, any, anybody uh, thankful for straight preaching? Because somebody reminded me the other day I'm an overseer, I'm a pastor. It's not, not my job to build a crowd. Is my job to take as many people as I can to heaven. Mm. I wonder about some churches how big their service is going to be the Sunday after the rapture. You know what? I want life church to be empty. So, in order for that to happen, I've got to encourage you to come out from among them to separate yourself from the influence of this world, from the effects of this world, so you can be connected and in relationship with your heavenly Father. And and I don't don't go home with you. I can't look through your stuff, but I can see some evidences. When I I see people starting, starting to lay out a church, something ain't right. When I see people becoming inconsistent in their uh and offerings something's happening there when i see attitudes and conflict and so forth something's happening there and i can't get down in your stuff and look through it and, and i'm not going to try to go to go down to your house and figure out what's going on because i can't save you but the power of the gospel can save you and we're preaching about the power of god to save you <laughs> hallelujah i wonder if we could lift our hands and surrender right now lord jesus the month of February, Lord God. The month of February, Lord Jesus, it's time to renew. Lord God, it's time to take note of how our spiritual altitude has fallen because some things have corrupted us. And God, I pray that there would be a renewal, that there would be, that you would take me back, Lord Jesus, to that place. <laughs> take me back, Lord God, to that place of refreshing where I first found you. Where your anointing was real, where the vision for what you were going to do in my life was clear, where your power was upon me, and where, God, you were first and foremost in my life, and I couldn't get enough of you, and I pray, Lord Jesus, uh, that there would be a renewal this month. Uh, Renew me, Lord God, and take me back. Come on, that's it. Pray it right now. Jesus, I want you to take me back to that place, Uh, and God, anything in me that's hindering me, anything in me that's uh, creating separation between you and me, Lord God, I'm praying that you would highlight it, uh, and that I would have the courage courage to take it away Lord Jesus so that I can live Lord God in relationship with you help me Lord God help me Lord Jesus Lord let me get out the broom and begin to sweep out the leaven let me get in the cupboards and sweep out the leaven let me clean out Lord God this house of mine because I don't want the whole of me to be impacted by little things I let linger in my life Lord Jesus let your seed be in me let your nature be in me lord god let me be born of god again and again and again in jesus name in the name of the lord Mm. hallelujah 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 in the name of jesus 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 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to heal their land. Hallelujah. I'm going to bless them. Praise God. Praise God. Repent and be converted so that the times of refreshing shall come from the Lord. In the name of the Lord. This is where revival starts. This is where spiritual renewal starts. When people get down to business about getting their lives clean and right with God. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't we put our hands together and give thanks to the Lord for his spirit.